0: This evening's Dharma Talk title is Choices Without Awareness. So this falls in line a little bit with something else I've talked about is don't do anything unless you have to. Because if you're doing something you don't have to do, there's a good chance your motivation behind that is some kind of fear or some kind of hope, but definitely some kind of ignorance, impulsiveness. And So the idea is a, is to wait. And of course, the other idea is to train your mind. Sit down in front of a wall or, or in front of carpeting or just someplace. Just find a place to sit down and hold still. It's nice to sit in a symmetrical situation since a body follows mind, mind follows body. And find the mind, you find the body, train the mind by attending to embodiment, body awareness, the six sense fields and their objects, including the mind. Just observe. So sit down, hold still and you will see through the contrast by holding very still, you'll see those very subtle movements in the mind that quite often, maybe not always, have come out of some kind of fearfulness of something or apprehension about an apparent future uh, and, uh, and imagined past. And so the basic recommendation is, of course, train your mind. Whether you become a Buddhist or not, that's totally personal and it's your business. But if you're sitting in this room, you're giving me permission, as you've heard me say before, to make some suggestions. Don't don't continue to live your life without spending some time sitting down, holding still, and watching the way the mind makes decisions. Quite often, the decisions are based on partial evidence. It's not that some of it isn't true. Of course, this is happening, that's happening. But we tend to jump in there because of our concern about, well, I need to do this right away. Because it'll get out of control. And sometimes even our friends, neighbors, sometimes their parents will say, well, you got to have a plan. No, you don't. I'm older than everybody in here. Do as I say. <laughs> <laughs> of course, don't do as I say. But at least, at least consider that you could actually, when you jump into planning anything, and I'm not against plans, but I like the plan to come out of the awareness rather than out of the thought process, which is always calculating, figuring looking for advantage. And I'm not saying there isn't some advantage, but but when we do that, we're ignoring a whole lot of other factors that are just in their infancy and are starting to grow up because we, we want to make a choice. But we've totally shut out or ignored some other aspect of this dynamic we call our human life. This is sometimes called patience. Sit down, hold still, watch the mind, watch the mind, watch, observe, 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 insofar as you can draw back any kind of blaming or judgment. Blaming yourself, blaming others, is just a waste of energy. It's also painful. Painful for you, painful for others. Always looking for blame. Looking for blame is based on the assumption, and what is an assumption? Something you think is true with with no investigation at all. On the assumption that there is a separate being who can somehow navigate through this crazy world of ours and get ahead, not fall behind win, be at the top of your game all the time. And so the idea with the title of uh, choices without awareness, obviously there's always going to be some awareness there, but, but in, the, in the, the person, the individual who is grasping at itself, me and my stuff, my successes, my failures, or, or grasping at some other person's successes, failures, contrast, who's ahead, who's behind, or as Abbott and Costello say, who's on first. That's even before my time, hundred years ago. So, um, what's being recommended is to is to sit, take a little bit of time, half an hour, an hour, or something each day, and sit down and just uh, by holding very still and watching what's moving in any of the sense fields, including the mind, just watch it. Don't latch onto it. Don't push it. Don't pull it. Don't do anything with it. That tends to open up that area, that invisible area we call awareness, so anything that it does later on, three days later, three years later, something that arises in the awareness, there's a whole lot of uh, space around it. The mind is no longer operating out of claustrophobia, but is operating out of, what's the other word? Fearlessness, clarity. If you're really clear about this, you're fearless. Nothing can scare you. I'm not saying something can't startle you. Of course, it can startle you, but it's unlikely to scare you. If it's something is scaring you, keep looking at it. Look at what's just eight, 8, 10, 15 inches, 20 inches, 15 feet behind the fear. The fear is a masquerade. Fear is a mask covering up the original situation, which is uh, having not investigated who you are and what this is. There's only two things going on to the, the, the mind that is operating out of confusion, open fear, passion, aggression, ignorance, and that's, me and you guys, this and this. You notice how we do that. We go back and forth between that all the time. And there, there, there's nothing to correct there. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. What am I saying? You should be aware of it. You should be aware, awareness, awareness, awareness. What are the three A's? It's not Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not Automotive Association of America. What is it? Yeah, thanks. That wasn't it, but that's <laughs> it. So it's always about awareness. Anytime you, anything is happening in your life, whether you're suffering, whether you're happy, whether you're bumping into walls, whether you're, you just got robbed, your house fell over, or as what happened to Brad, somebody walked in his car. Just a terrible. Kids out in the back walked in one of his vintage cars out there and dented the roof in. No, that's difficult. Once that happens, something like that happens to you, is you immediately go into anger or into resentment or into something. But it might be a good idea to spend some time and use that, as in our tradition, what we call that as a dharmagate. Anything that happens in your life that is a positive, negative, or neutral is a dharmagate. It's a way for you to see the way your mind personally acts with that particular thing. Nothing to believe, nothing to disbelieve. But there's an awful lot to be aware of. And when we say there's a lot to be aware of, interestingly, that the emphasis is not on what arises in the awareness. It's the awareness itself. Because eventually, that's where the transition happens. Whether it happens in this lifetime, or when it ha- whether it happens now, or whether it happens when you die. When you die, you're making that transition. In other words, no body left. So, uh, what's happening then? You could say, well, nihilistically, well, nothing's happened. That's the end of everything. Okay, you can do that. I wouldn't argue with it. I rarely argue. Except with, you know, I argue. to get a pass on that, don't I? So, the... the um, uh, making a choice about something without a lot of awareness, a lot of uh, space around the considerations that are arising—is uh, this is happening, that's happening. This isn't. This is happening here, but that's happening. So this is maybe means if I make a choice here, that won't open up over here. You know, I'm just kind of inventing a few things. So I say, don't do anything unless you have to. It's like if you're—the uh, extreme example would be you're in a burning house. You wake up and your house is burning and you know where the door is at and it's kind of choiceless you know where it's at it isn't like there's a door there door there 20 feet to that one and 15 feet to that you know you immediately know which you just you don't think at all it's totally about awareness i mean the awareness the thinking process may be spinning in circles and maybe terrifying you we all know the story or a story about someone who when there's a really intense catastrophe happens, somebody just as has is absolutely clear about what to do. And this might even be a person who's normally confused and going around in circles, but then something comes up that's completely frightening. It just frightens them into the present moment and they know exactly what to do. Choiceless. You know, the example I've used before, you're, you're with a group of people and there's a little child here so big and there's cars out here going back and forth. There's parked cars. And the the child starts to go between the parked cars and you are on that child. You don't call their mother. You stop that person from walking in up from that little person from running out in front of those cars. You don't think about it. You just do it. So sitting practice of meditation, what that does, and it's invisible. So you can't really, you don't get a credential. It isn't like you suddenly feel more aware. If you suddenly feel more aware, this is more about uh, ego. If you think you're getting somewhere, you're not. Uh-huh. And what do I mean by that? I'm not saying you wouldn't make some progress. If you're, you meditate a lot, you sit in front of a wall and you sit and you sit, you're bound to, slow down some things are going to clear up and get and feel better more relaxed uh, more um, smoother however you want to say it and then other things are going to get worse or apparently worse and the reason they do that is these are the things you've been shutting down on since you were born so now that you're sitting here suddenly uh, you've you know it's a very uh, very interesting uh, we call it a process that the, the, your Buddha nature your wisdom mind your your fundamental um, unencumbered consciousness knows exactly what needs to happen next and it's like uh it's like now now that you've solved this okay now it's time for you to do the heavy lifting here it comes and that's why it's so necessary to have a strong practice have a in our tradition it's uh, i don't think it's all you have to have it but have a, a teaching person and have uh, companions on the path companions who are also working with their mind in a similar way Stepping outside of the opinions of bias, and, you know, belief in this, disbelief in that. Belief and disbelief are very low level of functioning as a human being. If you believe something, this is what belief looks like. If you disbelieve something, this is what disbelief looks like. You've, you've, all investigation, all, all awareness comes to a halt based on, well, I don't believe that, or I really believe that. People will even reinforce each other in the conversation. And say. Well, do you believe the uh, well, The other person was, you can hear this in a conversation. Yeah, I, I kind of believe that or I don't believe that. or Just uh, kind of horsing around. You know, Starbucks. <laughs> you ever go in Starbucks and just kind of sit there in the middle of the room like this? <laughs> I just did that once. And it, <laughs> you know, just kind of receive the conversations that are coming out of it. If, you know, if you want to develop compassion, that's a good place to start. It starts out with feeling really sorry for everybody. So the idea with making choices uh, is is rather than have some kind of plus and minus, I mean, there might be something it might be obvious that you just oh this will be a better thing to do. you just do it. But when you' when you're uh, when when the idea of should I should I quit this job and go to that job? this is, uh, pays more. But this is this feels pretty good. I like my what I'm doing. I mean, we, we all, we're always doing that. Some of us do that. All the, I mean, we change jobs all the time, or or we think about it a lot. And uh, that would be a good uh, example of don't do anything unless you have to. Don't I mean, actually let the whole thing settle down so that it so that the situation has been difficult, gets so bad that you have to go in another direction. But then it comes out. It's coming out of your awareness around the situation rather than a. A thought process that is an artificial masquerades as awareness all the time. Thoughts do. That's why it shows up as belief and disbelief, because the ego mind, the self-centered mind, the narcissism, self-centeredness wants a reference point, and it will it will grasp at ideas and opinions and beliefs. I just talked to uh, Jake. He had to go on a run. He's running, so he wasn't able to stay. But I'm talking to him uh, about not—I uh, can't remember how I said it to him. But. Something like you don't need a plan. <laughs> you know, when somebody's 23, everybody's saying you need to have a plan. You need to have no, you don't. The thing, you, the way you know something is a plan is it won't work. When's the last time you planned something that actually worked, other than maybe fixing uh, rice aroni? And that's because you have directions on the back. Everybody eats health food, don't they? Rice aroni. <laughs> All I'm saying is is that anything that we're doing, any trajectory we're taking is so extremely complicated. Notice how the last six months, six uh, uh, six months or a year of your life, or maybe in several years this this is totally different than right now than you, you would have ever have thought. It just things just change. And so it may be better to just uh, hold your seat. It may be better to uh, sit down a lot and just watch what the mind is doing. Excuse me. So that, the, so that you don't get uh, um, tricked into taking directions that are unnecessary. Questions are good, if you have them, yes. Um, is the form different? Than- yes. How so? Uh, the plan is a, a speculation based on partial evidence, and a form is something that's uh, that just a structure that you use to work within the structure so that your, uh, your awareness can go beyond the structure. But you have to first have the structure or the awareness can't escape. It's just, uh, it's like it takes the place of thinking so that your awareness can float. Go ahead.
1: Is there a way or would it make sense to create forms in our daily life instead of planets?
0: Could. Just like we, this, we've we been doing this for years. This, we did the Heart Sutra tonight. We do three more sutras in the mornings. And we do it, you could say we do it the same way every time, but it's never same. There's no way you can ever repeat that. If you do it enough, you realize, especially being the the noan, you know how you never can do that. Your your voice will crack at some point. You mispronounce a word that you've been saying for perfectly for uh, three months, and, and then it just drops off. Or maybe you don't make mistakes. <laughs> and are, are they you know they're not exactly mistakes? They're mistakes from the ego point of view, but from the point of view of awareness, it's just the form the form uh, changing back and forth. There's no one to blame for anything. Also, no one gets credit for anything. You can tell if you want to know where your ego's at and how strong it is. Uh, notice the next time someone compliments you for anything. If you puff up at all, that's ego at all. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's bad and you should get rid of it. I'm just saying it just shows you where it, where it is and it's alive and well in your uh, consciousness. The same way as if you're criticized or someone judges you, even if whether they're correct or not. You immediately feel your self-centeredness. Questions about that would be good, if you have, or about anything for that matter, other than the stock market. Yes. Um,
1: Sanho from Oklahoma has a question.
0: Is he in Oklahoma? I think so. What's he doing out there? They Working. Keep, keep is, forgetting his, where his he goes. The
1: question is how do we make a choice that affects someone else?
0: <clears throat> so quite often, that someone else is not uh, is not actually someone else. It's your idea of that someone. So you're making choices based on your idea of someone else. If you're actually making, uh, uh, coming to some kind of a idea about going this way or going that way, uh, you need to do it uh, first person, uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask the person or interact with them, but it needs to be, need to be very um, aware of, anytime you look at somebody else, you're not really seeing them, you see your idea of them. Don't you want to disagree with me or something? Oh, no? Okay, good. All right. So what am I saying? I'm saying that, that we get tangled up in our presumptions, our preconceptions about others. We, we, we see a person functioning in a certain way, and instead of seeing the way they're functioning exactly, we laminate ideas and judgments, opinions, beliefs, uh, analyses, and so on, onto that situation. Uh, quite often we even say, well you, know, well, you know how he feels. Well, you know what he's thinking. It's just a ridiculous thing. If you, Anytime you say, well, if you say to one person well you know what somebody else is thinking there's no way you know what they're thinking i mean it's just it'd be impossible they don't even know what they're thinking they're not even sure so a speculation like that is is a way that the self-centeredness gets some kind of a of a purchase or a, or a connection with the thought process that establishes some kind of somebody who's here having an experience who's actually that is actually over there it's very sneaky
1: uh, question from Sheldon down in Union City. Michigan.
0: That darn Sheldon.
1: Isn't not making choices with awareness also a problem? Isn't what? Isn't not making choices without awareness also a problem?
0: No, that's just laziness. He's not in there. That's just a computer. Yes, it could be. I mean, anytime any, anything is pushing this way or pushing that way or we're strategizing, so it could be. You? Someone judges us for
1: choice that we Our reaction to
0: that. Yeah. It can be hard if that if you're really close to that person, you really you love that person, or you're you know you're you're just close, and someone is judging you or something. Uh, it's difficult. It can be it can be painful if somebody's uh, criticizing you over that. And the only thing I can say is, don't agree with them, don't disagree with them, and don't leave them or look away from them. Just stay with them. Nothing lasts. And that judgment, I don't care how much of a concrete block it feels like, will start to melt the less you do, because they need your cooperation in order to hang out of that judgment. They don't have your cooperation because uh, the nature of most uh, thinking process is involved in some kind of narcissism, albeit very subtle. Uh, you probably have all had some experience like this. If you just sit and look at somebody when they're judging you, and you say nothing. They want, they want you to engage. They'll even accuse you. Well, are you going to say something? Do you agree with me? They'll try to fight with you. They'll try to start a fight. They can't stand what? Space. Where does the space come from? Sitting practice of meditation is one way. You have, you have a, you don't, you, you're always yourself, so you're not going to realize how, how spacious you've become from sitting here for years and years. But other people <laughs> notice it. They're around you, and they notice that you don't do much. You don't defend yourself, and nor do you uh, agree with them. Nor do you leave or go somewhere else. You just stay there. And this doesn't mean you wouldn't be having some suffering coming up. But quite often that suffering is about a concern for how they're feeling, which you can feel. It's called compassion. Yeah. What if we're able to receive
1: this on the outside, but in, in our heads we're agreeing with them or disagreeing with
0: them? It doesn't matter what's happening in your head. None of your business. It's there, and it's solid, and you can feel it, but it's none of your business. It's like watching a movie. It's like watching a really intense drama about something that is frightening. But there isn't anyone to be frightened. If you think there's someone to be frightened, then we perpetuate that, and we end up just unnecessarily suffering. There's going to be some suffering. It's the extra stuff that we call uh, that the Buddha was actually talking about. That's the kind of suffering he's addressing, the extra stuff. If you're alive, you're a living being, you have nerve endings, you're going to suffer because it hurts. I mean, the same nerve ending that feels nice is also the same nerve ending that feels pain. It, not only in the, the five sense fields, but also in, uh, in, in, uh, in the uh, mind, it's the same thing. It's a, there's a kind of an invisible nerve endings there.
1: You gotta- Are you suggesting that you not allow the thought process to be the decision maker?
0: That's a good question. No, what, what I'm saying is that we, we have so much awareness around that from the sitting practice of meditation that when the thought process comes up there, we're not ignoring all the other five sense fields that we're that this, if this, is, if this decision is going to be made, it's going to have to make it without ignoring the sense of touch, without ignoring, ignoring the sense of seeing, the sense of smell, the sense of hearing, the sense of taste. You have to be a whole person, always here, always present. Always, you know how your clothes feel. You know about gravity. I'm not talking about a thought about it. I'm just saying you're just present. So therefore, the thought process process may come up, but it's like um, it's not claustrophobic. It's not based on fear that you need to do something. It's it's coming up, but it's uh, there's a, so much space around it and so much clarity that you, you and with that you may actually find yourself doing what that thought process is is spelling out, and you may also not, you may be watching it for a while because as I said, as is said in the teachings, nothing lasts. So anything that looks like it's there, no matter how concrete it looks, if you do anything with it, it'll persist. Just by the nature of phenomena. But if you don't do anything with it, then it has its own natural birth and death or coming and going. What more? Shoto? Are apparent choices choiceless? So uh, language is difficult to say, but if you it's like describing how something tastes, you know, it's uh, difficult. Um, so everything is choiceless because we're either making choices based on our conditioning, which conditions us to have opinions and do things based on hope and fear and on, on our upbringing and what we're taught and what, the, what our culture is saying and we're functioning. We think we're independent, but actually we're functioning, functioning uh, out of conditioning. Whereas uh, if, we're, if you go beyond that conditioning, through the sitting practice of meditation, you begin to walk a spiritual path which transcends this world while you're in it, then if there are choices, they're choiceless because they come out they come out of not excluding anyone or anything or any energy or any bird in the tree or any neighbor, any cloud. Everything is included, included. So if there needs to be a choice, it will come. It won't feel like you're making a choice. You'll just do this, or you won't do it. But there won't be any second comment coming along saying, "You better do something." So it's choiceless in the sense that you're operating out of your wisdom mind, or you're operating out of your samsaric mind of hope and fear and confusion and uh, and impulsiveness. Both of them are choiceless. More can something transcend cause and effect yet still. <laughs> what's called choices. Find out. I wouldn't take your wisdom away from you by trying to explain something to you and have you believe or buy into it. Other people have done a much better job of this, and I can read Vasubandhu, the 4th century uh, scholar, monk, I read the 30 verse. Of, he said it, even though it's translated out of uh, the Sanskrit. He says it better than just about anybody. You study that, so you know what it is. You have it memorized? Why not? It's only 30 verses. (laughs) Kozan has it memorized, don't you, Kozan? (laughs) Probably has a lot of other things memorized. Yes.
1: Another question from Sanho. Yes. He asks, how do you work with a feeling of freezing or being caught between two bad options?
0: So those, uh, I'm not saying those two bad options wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be bad. I'm not saying you're inventing everything, but uh, some of that could be uh, projection and uh, probably one would be a, a better direction to go uh, than the other. And not necessarily, I guess you could be, uh, uh, you know, you could be held in place by those two, uh, those, that kind of polarity. But you know, everything tends to change. So the more we look at something, the more we sense, the more we feel, the more we taste, hear, smell, and just bring all of our senses right to any situation that's happening. Uh, our, your wisdom mind is always available. It's just covered up by hope and fear. Hope things are going to get better. What a waste of time! You don't need to hope for anything. Just be here. Hope is like if you're hoping for something. This is what to someone who is in who is present. This is what hope looks like. I mean, it's not. It's not exactly that. I mean, there's kind of a you're hoping for something. So you're going to peak a little bit just in case what you're hoping for starts to come your way. And you could say see it happened a lot of people use that word not not bad i'm not saying it's evil or something but it's just it, it adds to the confusion rather than uh clarifies because it takes the place of the investigation that you should be should be doing when i say should i don't know what you should be doing it looks like if you're here you're listening to me at least for the next 15 minutes consider what i'm saying and then move to arkansas or, or you know delaware someplace where corporations are really successful. Where is it? Colorado, There, they have all kinds of legislation going on to support uh, co-ops, I hear. You heard about that? Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. <coughs> Let's go. <laughs> Didn't you?
1: When thoughts arise, of fear that seem to be urging us to make a choice, how can we get a little bit more space before we actually yeah. jump into
0: something? So one of the ways I talk about, you've heard me say, is to... Is to drop down into your senses. Just, just acknowledge. You don't have to stay there. Just touch on the sense of just touch, sense of touch. How your clothes feel. Gravity. You're being. You're one of the most powerful experiences you're having. You're blocking out. You're actually ignoring it by staying up in your thought process. You're actually being held in place by gravity. And so, you just flash on that. Flash on something that's always present. Gravity, as far as your physical life, and something that. Uh, uh, is uh, has a, a dependability uh, because it's even though it's transient, but it's 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 here. It's right here. You're grounded. You're you're here. So that that allows the thought process to you could say align itself uh, more accurately with the rest of your sense fields So you aren't caught up in some kind of paranoia. You know, we get too much in our head. We're just paranoid. We get too much in our gut. We're just uh, fearful. But if we're here, as I sometimes say drop down out of this, rise up out of this. This really can't think. It isn't really a thought process, but it doesn't abandon the thought process either. It actually uses it. But you can actually function out of your awareness. When you need thoughts, they're gonna be right there at your fingertips. Yes? Can
1: we act out of awareness while still feeling paranoid?
0: Yes. How? <laughs> uh, just don't fight with the paranoia. Fighting with paranoia, uh, accepting the paranoia, Rejecting the paranoia, shutting down on the paranoia. As all manipulations, it just perpetuates paranoia. It might just go around the corner and then come up and uh, bite you later. But it needs to be dealt with as it is. You have to actually feel the paranoia, if that's what we're labeling it or calling it. Feel that paranoia. And then uh, when it's time to function, you, you'll be ready. But if you do anything with it, then it tends to act as a, uh, a stumbling block or something to actually any kind of uh, straightforward uh, and direct uh, connection with with whatever causes and conditions uh, you're finding yourself in more and so the way the way you would be able to do this uh, um, more completely and thoroughly more directly is to spend a lot of time sitting down doing nothing call it meditation call it uh, fried bananas you know sit down whole still sit in a symmetrical posture and then the, the mind that's always going this way and that way and taking different shapes, eventually the mind will find this shape and it will start to, to be in this shape. And uh, and then the the boredom that you've been experiencing maybe for months, weeks, years, who knows? The boredom, I say, boredom is a sign you're giving up entertainment. Good idea. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the movies or eat ice cream, but the actual compulsiveness or demand for something else is what, makes it so difficult for us as self-centered beings. Uh, and so we sit down and we just look at the paranoia. We just look at the, at the impulsiveness without engaging, without just keeping in neutral. Sit down, keep it in neutral, and, don't, and wait for the gong. Wait for your own gong, if you have one. I think I have a gong. There's one, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental gongs are the best. No, they're not. They're not really the best. Wait a minute. I take that back. No, I don't. I don't take that back. Yes. How can we see something that's always present? How can we say something? See something. You can't see anything that's always present. You can only only be present. You can't see presence. You can't even see it in someone else. You're always seeing your projection on some level. I'm not saying that I can't see that you're a very handsome man. You're supposed to say, well, you're, you're not bad yourself. <laughs> so uh, it's just a matter of seeing whatever's arising without adding to it or taking away from it or ignoring it. It's just that simple and it's that difficult because the mind, the ego mind, the self-centered mind always wants something else. If something arises. Uh, this is a teaching an uh, ancient uh, Tibet called Dzogchen, uh, or the Great Perfection. That your life as it is right now is completely perfect. We're not saying you don't have toothaches or you don't uh, trip and fall. Uh, we're not saying that the neighbors don't get upset with you or that you might not have you might have difficulty with your your intimate relationships or all kinds of things could happen. So, but the Great Perfection is that there's nothing to fix, there's nothing to correct, but it. it, it it takes awareness to understand that. You can't think your way into that situation. It actually transcends concepts. Yes? We can't see
1: what's always present. What is it that looks like space between things?
0: Space. There's something, and there's space between it. There's space between that. It's just space. More? Get warmer. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> another one? Kevin. Uh, I'm curious
1: about this idea of uh pure purification or clarity or clarification or is it possible that the that awareness purifies thoughts or thinking processes and actually how about is there another word for awareness
0: uh space the
1: space Mm -hmm. purify thought process like it's spoken about there's these poisons like the greed or hatred
0: or this idea how if if at all does space Purify these processes. These I can things. tell you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Space and thoughts and phenomena are the same thing. Space is not separate from anything, but it has to be seen. We have to actually see the spaciousness of everything. And we have to actually see the, uh, the, the complete uh, um, no separation between space and whatever is arising in the space. We need to see the space first. That's part of the path. There's a ground path in fruition. The ground is the suffering or the difficulty of the warfare that all of us experience on some level. And the path is slowly stopping that by looking at the openness and looking at the openness and looking at the openness. As we go along, there's more and more and more openness. It's called emptiness. Shunyata is a fancy Sanskrit word. We begin to see shunyata. And we see it, we see it, we see it. This is called... Uh, um, uh, well, there's fancy names for it, but just it's just a path. We see that, and then as maybe it's at a point, maybe it's not at a point, maybe it doesn't have a point quality to it, but then we see that everything that has been arising in the space, including this body-mind and the space itself, are not separate from each other. That space and phenomena are not two. That every two-ness that's happening everywhere, they collapse into each other. The subject uh, and the object are no longer separate. And if it's a realization, that doesn't mean you still won't have to do your laundry. doesn't mean you won't have to go up and paint the roof when, when the paint feel, feels off the rough. So I like to say that. The, <laughs> nobody paints a roof, do they? Just based on what I'm saying. I don't want to mislead anyone. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Uh, the, so the,
1: so the, the concept purification hinges on realization.
0: Right. yeah it does it hinges on that and actually to take it a step further it's to say that things are already pure no nothing needs to be purified although in the Buddhist tradition even in uh the Tibetan traditions and tradition they all have a kind of a purification thing there's even practices uh that are, are involved with purification purification of doing a, some kind of a visualization where you're where you're bringing down uh, light and purifying uh, light energy and completely purifying the Vajrasattva practice uh, has to do with uh, saying this long 100 syllable mantra and, and visualizing light coming down through a little deity that's sitting on top of your head, uh, coming down and completely washing out all of your negativity. So it's, a, it's actually a, a very literal, you know, scrubbing things down process. But the realization is that need not have been done. But you may have to do that for a while. It's like the, you, need to, you might have to take the journey to realize you didn't have to take the journey. No, I don't know, there might be a better way of saying that relative kind of stuff. More? Less? <laughs> okay. Shoto? When we work to see through something, or like when, we
1: say, um, when you say that ego is not real, it just needs to be seen, what are we seeing through
0: to? When you when you see that ego is not real, it's just, it's just an ordinary situation. So you don't have a reference point anymore. You used to have the reference point of, of me and my ideas, my things. And when, when, when that's seen through, nothing has really changed other than you just see that what you thought was real isn't. It's like the rope and the snake, you know, the traditional image you thought that was a snake, but yeah, it's just a coil of rope on the ground. So uh, what? With the, with the concept of seeing through something, I, I get the image of like a piece of glass where I'd be able to see what's behind that, what's behind the ego. The space. The ego itself is space. So how can what it is be behind it? Because it's not separate. There isn't anything separate. Things are separated all over the place. There's walls and windows and doors, and there's buildings, and there's people, and there's birds, caterpillars. Separated, but when you see what this is, you realize that there's not two things anywhere. <laughs> I'm not supposed to tell you that. <laughs> that's a, that's a, called an open secret. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, you make that up. No, Tibetans. It's an open secret. It happens, an open secret. The teachings are an open secret. It's obvious to someone who sees this. And to someone who doesn't see it, it's it looks like some kind of hidden thing. That's, yes, Brad. I mean, David. Well, I'm in the process of naming you right now, so that's why I'm <laughs> trouble with your name. Go ahead.
1: Is the uh, scrubbing, um, yes. is compassion the just- scrubbing part or is it the the something that's already the case
0: compassion is just is just seeing that you're not separate from anything it's just like it's just a realization and then you may move towards helping someone you may you may not you may but you're very respectful of boundaries boundaries are the natural boundaries between people just show up but someone else might watch you and think you're not doing things right somebody could be listening to this and think i'm you know blaspheming against the buddha by you know some of the dumb things i have said people can project on anything they want or they could listen and 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 maybe it would be helpful but the the compassion uh, starts out might start out as feelings or emotions but eventually it's just it's just an understanding so you, you can't help but help others even even if you don't do anything to them or with them or move towards them uh, that that's always the case. It doesn't. Compassion doesn't belong to anyone. It's not someone who sits over here and looks at somebody who's in trouble and compassionates. We got to crank up the compassion. It's it, 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 maybe on a on an emotional situation. There could be you know, it could resonate with someone's feelings, or uh, but it's not exactly sympathy. It isn't. It isn't. It's more like it's like you're feeling what they're feeling on some level, but not exactly. And there's nothing to correct.
1: Another question from Sanho.
0: He's just full of questions to me.
1: He asks, "How do you function in situations where it feels as though there is no space? It's a powerful illusion."
0: Uh, so Functioning where there's no space—that is a powerful illusion, or it's a powerful. So a,
1: a question and a statement.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a it's an illusion yeah I didn't understand it either. He
1: asks how do you function in situations where it feels as though there is no space and then, he says, then he it's said, a powerful illusion yeah
0: um, again i'd have to in that situation uh, there's not much you can do in the situation other than maybe relate to your other sense relate to the sense of touch uh, relate to the uh, relate to the sense of smell sense of hearing uh sense of uh seeing and just just be with whatever the senses are doing and see if that uh spaciousness begins to show up a little bit more since you're you're actually going to areas where there's a tremendous amount of space in the sense of touch there's there's no that you the sense of touch doesn't really think but it sometimes feels like it does sometimes we have a gut feeling about things so my uh asanho my direct response to you would be sit more I would spend more time sitting down and just just keep sharpening that blade, sharpen the awareness to see more clearly. And what you'd be seeing what you would most likely be seeing more clearly is the way in which that starts nodding up in terms of uh, the situation might be completely spacious, but you may be shutting it down yourself, not accusing you of anything, but it's something to look at. One last question if there is one yes. How do we work with putting
1: others before ourselves without reaffirming
0: the self? Self is not real. Uh, the ego is not real. Uh, until you see that, you'll keep trying to get rid of it, or you'll keep trying to do something with it, or you'll keep you you try to not reaffirm it. Doesn't matter. Go ahead and reaffirm it. Just be aware that that's what you're doing, and that way you'll actually see that it's not real. <laughs> there I go tell, telling you stuff again. <laughs> Turn. That's more advanced teaching. <laughs> there is something to that. Just watch the way. It's not about not reaffirming. Just watch the way your, your mind just tries to fluff itself up, and on some level, just observe. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Always about awareness. Yes. Is helping others selfish? Which is just is a flat situation. I would say, not necessarily. But if you want to be seen as a person who helps others, uh, you notice some people who are spend a lot of time helping others, but they're very concerned about that you know that they're helping. And uh, sometimes they'll even kind of brag, well, I spend so much time helping others, I hardly have any time for myself. You know, just, I'm just so devoted to helping others.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you don't think so? <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: And I'd like to remind everybody that in the hallway, we do have donation boxes, on which, in which we would love to see filled with lots of money and things.
0: Ice cream. <laughs> no, no, no! Please don't put ice cream in.
1: We also accept PayPal and credit and debit cards. May the merit of this penetrate into all places, so that we, in every sentient being together, can realize the Buddha's way.